Welcome to Women and Manufacturing, where accomplished women interview accomplished women. Well, welcome to the Riveting Exchanges podcast. I am Andrea Olson with my co-host Desiree Grace, and we're here, women in manufacturing, talking about manufacturing. And you know, today we have a very, very exciting guest, and she is, just has a wealth of background and information and perspectives that I think our audience is going to be really, really pumped about. Desiree, do you want to introduce our guest? I would love to. I am very excited that Priscilla Hammett is joining us today. She is a product marketing manager with Emerson Automation Solutions. Emerson is a company in the electrical and electronic industry. And part of the reason we're excited to have Priscilla with us is she made an interesting career leap from working in the government and then moving into manufacturing with uh, some experience at Whirlpool prior to coming to Emerson. The other reason we're very excited to have Priscilla with us today is Priscilla is a member of the much maligned, and I would state unfairly maligned, millennial cohort. So, Priscilla, (laughs) welcome to Riveting Exchanges. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to uh, do the podcast today. Excellent. Um, So, Priscilla, tell our audience a little bit about your career path and how you actually ended up in manufacturing, because Andrea and I found it fascinating. Absolutely. Um, so I, my background is in economics. Uh, I studied uh, economics for undergrad, and uh, I was uh, very idealistic at a young age and wanted to uh, make the world a better place. So I um, naively headed to Washington, thinking that was the place to do that. <laughs> and uh, I started my career in Congress. Um, first, I worked at the Congressional Budget Office as a research analyst, Uh, So my job was to assess the impact of, uh, basically what they do is assess the impact of legislation on the economy. Uh, And then I worked for a congresswoman as an economic policy aide. Um, And it was a really fantastic experience to, you know, learn about um, macro issues and legislation. Uh, But what I, you know, after five years of working there, it was, clear to me that uh, to move the needle on any one issue, uh, it took uh, many, many years to happen, and um, I started to get anxious to do do something more tangible that I could uh, see my results a little bit quicker. And uh, manufacturing was always fascinating to me. Um, you know, when you study economics, you you learn all about Adam Smith and, like, production and uh, economies of scale. So I was uh, just always curious about it. And uh, I was looking online at jobs and uh, Whirlpool showed up. And I was like, Whirlpool is a great company. You know, I have their products. Everybody knows them. Um, I love the idea of working for consumer, you know, consumer products that people touch and feel and use every day and uh, goods that make, make people's lives better and easier. So, um, I went on to work for Whirlpool, um, and I started out in government relations, but uh, quickly realized that I really loved the business side. So um, I was offered an opportunity to 
to work in the business for a few months to kind of get experience. And uh, their thought was, if you if you understand our business, you will be able to better represent us in Washington. Uh, but then uh, I ended up just staying in the business <laughs> and not going back so to Washington. So you got bit by. So you got bit by the manufacturing bug. Absolutely. <laughs> I remember the first time um, I went to a factory. It was I was actually there with a congressman. We were giving him a tour, and I was it was a, a, a cooking. We were it's a, a factory that makes uh, basically ovens, and mm-hmm. it was just the coolest experience. Like to walk the line, I was like in front of my eyes. The things that I use every day are being made, and I was I I got the this excitement, and I loved it. Uh, and I, you know, now that I'm a prog manager and I have, you know, I have factories that make my products and I still get the, the exact same excitement as I walk through my lines and see my products being made uh, when I visit my factories. It's, it's really an awesome, awesome feeling. So clearly your so passion about- is, is now manufacturing and, and it's incredible to hear that, you know, you've you've taken this in uh so well but you know what what drew you to it you know you you said that you thought whirlpool was a a great organization but you know what what does make it manufacturing attractive to you well one aspect that i have really uh loved about it is the the importance you know processes uh when you are building products and uh when i was at whirlpool i was um very, very blessed to to go through um, Black Belt Six Sigma training and really learn about how you can approach production and problems through a scientific method and using statistics. And I had used used statistics for economic modeling, but it was a very abstract sort of use of, of statistics and economics. And I just love how in manufacturing, you know, with with lean principles and Six Sigma, you can really solve every problem. And of course, some problems are more complex than others. And there's always the resource question: is like how much, how many, how much money, and how how many people do we have to throw at the problem? But I really was always fascinated by, uh, you know, in manufacturing, there's so many problems that are very tangible, and you have all these great tools. Uh, the you know scientific tools that you can use to solve the problem. So that was one of the areas that that has uh, really appealed to me. And and I use those principles of lean manufacturing not just in my job but also in my personal life. And I always approach things with a scientific method. Uh, any problem that I have. So that's one area I love about it. And the second area is like I said earlier, just the physical products and being able to walk the line and uh, see, you know, I work in, my job is to, number one, um, have execute new product introductions, so I launch products. And the second part of my job is creating the roadmap uh, for my product. So what are we going to be introducing to the market in the next five years? And uh, you, you see it's like a cradle-to-grave product management, and there's it's so rewarding to go to the factory and like launch a new product and see it be made uh, in your in your line and and talk to the people that make it and then 
you go out in the field and you see your product being used uh, in the field, something that you saw being built, I always, I found that very exciting. And uh, the products that I make in particular, they're used um, in the industrial and commercial sector. So the products go uh, into oil rigs, into refineries, and uh, it's really cool to go out to a refinery and see, you know, my products being used and then, you know, the bigger picture is like they're used to, you know, create all the things that I use every day, like energy and plastics and uh, shampoo. <laughs> so um, that really appeals to me is how tangible it is. Uh, so, yeah, I think those two, two, two things in particular are uh, a big driver for me. Hey, Priscilla, you have such a passion for um, manufacturing. I mean, it comes through in your voice and your energy. One of the things that Andrea and I have noticed is manufacturing is typically having a hard time recruiting younger people. Do you have any thoughts on what the manufacturing industry in general could be doing to recruit and even retain millennials? Absolutely. Um, I think for me as a millennial, uh, having a phenomenal work culture is it's number one in my list. So I think companies, manufacturing companies, need to think about how do we, how do they create a culture that people are excited to go to work. Um, if you think about it, we spend at least half of our waking hours at work every day. Um, I read a study that said one-third of our life is spent at work. So if you're not in a place that's exciting, if you're not if you don't like the people around you, if you don't like your boss, then that's going to make the rest of your life pretty miserable. So to me, it's like have a place that's a great place to work, number one. Um, number two, uh, I think millennials value flexibility a lot. Uh, for me, flexibility is so important that I would take – you know, if, if my boss said, do you want a pay raise or more flexibility, I will take more flexibility or more vacation days any day of the week. So mm -hmm. I think flexibility is super important. So create policies that make work a, a flexible work environment. Um, and I think the third one is very related to culture, but it's around uh, creating, you know, when you select your leaders, uh, have create an environment that leaders are coaches and not like the boss that knows it all, but more someone that is a coach and is a teacher and also a, an avid learner that teaches you as much as they want to learn themselves. Uh, so I think if you put in place leaders that, that treat their employees as coaches and is more of a partnership versus this like solid boss, you know, direct report relationship, I think it, it, for me personally, that yields better results and, and creates a better work environment. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a theme that I know Desiree and I have also heard and seen in our organizations that we've been through is there's, you know, this really new focus on, you know, not just the pay and the benefits, but, you know, all the soft aspects of working in an organization, continued learning, upward mobility, flexibility, work-life balance, you know, these are, are mission critical for manufacturers to start looking at. It's not gender specific. It's, I'd argue it's not even 
generationally specific. It's people are really starting to change how they want to work and how they want to engage with an organization. You know, and, and what kind of opportunities then do you see, Priscilla, with manufacturing organizations, not only in what they need to do to approach uh, a new generation in the workforce, but also what do they need to communicate to that workforce in regards to career opportunities within manufacturing? Yes, I see really tremendous opportunity in manufacturing uh, because, as you know, baby boomers are retiring, so companies need to fill their their talent pipeline. They are looking for talent. They need talent. Uh, Today, 50% of the working population in the U.S. are are millennials, and it's I read a statistic that by 2025, it will be 75% of the population. So it's very important to pay attention to what, you know, what works for, for this generation. Um, I think there is a, there's a huge opportunity because of this, you know, baby boomers retiring. Uh, I think manufacturing at a glance doesn't appear as sexy to millennials as tech or finance. Like I have so Mm -hmm. many friends that just, you know, immediately moved to San Francisco. And, I mean, I think half of my friends probably, you know, at some point mm-hmm. worked at a startup or, this, or, or you know, even if they left, they, they had that experience. But, you know, in manufacturing, there's so many opportunities. And, like, because it's so rewarding, I think, to work for a company um, that, like I said, makes things, uh, I think it can be a really fun, fun job. And, Companies are willing to to pay for talent, so uh, I think the the field is less crowded in a way. So I th- I think millennials should really pay attention to that, and I think companies are also very open to providing different experiences. I mean, with Whirlpool, I saw you know I I was in government relations, and they saw my talent, and they brought me to the business side, and I worked in strategy, and then I worked in product development, and they gave me all these really incredible opportunities that uh, I, I don't think I could have gone at a different company. So uh, I think manufacturing, there's you can do so many different things in, in a, if you work for a manufacturing company. I mean, for Emerson, now I work in product marketing, but I envision one day to work in sales and to, to have different experiences. So I think um, for me, I, I see a lot of opportunity uh, in terms of, what companies need to do is, uh, again, uh, create cultures that that people are aware uh, that they're good, you know, good places to work at. Hey, Priscilla, um, you know, one of the things that um, can deter women, especially young women, from is the manufacturing sector being so male dominated. Um, you have any thoughts or advice on that? Absolutely. Um, so I, you know, I've been working for two companies uh, that are both over 100 years old. So both Whirlpool and Emerson are over 100 years old. So very old companies, uh, manufacturing, engineering. Uh, really, if you think about why they have survived, it's because they're great companies. Like not not many companies last for a hundred years and are still still so successful. So uh, also, I think millennials need to keep that in mind. Um, I think the key is number one that companies are are aware of this and are trying 
very hard to make make environments better for women. So uh, I think there there is a movement to you know to make once you are aware of a problem and you're conscious of it, uh, I think people start behaving differently. So I see um, I see that there's a change in attitude uh, and and there's an effort to recruit people of more diverse backgrounds and of of you know more women into both junior roles and more leadership roles. But I'm not going to lie that there are no challenges. Um, For me, you know, I have experienced challenges many times, and I've been in meetings that I'm, you know, there's 20 people and I'm the only woman. And I've been um, in projects that I've worked with people that are have 30 years of experience, or and they question, like, what can this, 31-year-old know about mm. what we do uh, sure. or, 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 or why, why is she asking me why I'm doing things this way? Uh, so I have, uh, I have experienced that, and I, you know, I think I've been – sometimes it's like you get the extra challenge because you're young and a woman. Uh, but the way to get around that is to, number one, you have to know, know your stuff. So – I'm always, I, you know, I like numbers. I, I'm very fact-driven person. So anytime I, I, I feel that someone is not super confident in, in what I have to say or the direction I'm providing, I come armed with facts. And, and not just anecdotal evidence, but I go to the experts and I cross-check, uh, triple-check, and just make sure that I actually do know what I'm talking about. And if I don't, I just say, I don't know. You actually know more than I do. Please enlighten me. And that has been a very successful approach. Um, and the second one is just you have to be persevering and, and confident. Just if there's something that you know is the right thing to do for the business, you go for it. And if people say no, then you listen to what they have to say and eventually somebody at a higher level will determine, you know, what is the right direction. But if you, you know, if you feel strongly about something, go for it and don't lose confidence because someone that has maybe 30 years more experience than you do thinks otherwise. So, again, as long as you are actually certain that what you are proposing or, or what you're saying is correct, I think this is the most important part, uh, you just have to be confident and then uh, be resilient, and you will be recognized for that. So I think, um, like I said, there's been times that it's been hard, but times are changing, and, and uh, I think that's going to change a ton more as, you know, millennials become a lot more involved. And with manufacturing, eventually there are going to be a lot of millennials in manufacturing because the baby boomers will no longer be around. So uh, it will be either change by volunteer change or forced change. <laughs> uh, so I think companies should try to adjust as, as fast as possible to, to the, the rapid change that's happening in, in work culture. Sure, sure. You know, that's, that's just a great observation. You know, and, and I think women really do face a variety of challenges, but, you know, sometimes manufacturers really struggle with shaping a culture that's inclusive and diverse and really welcoming to different perspectives. And how do, how do they really 
how can they go about recruiting and retaining that diverse workforce and sustaining that culture to kind of support this new direction? Yes, I think uh, recruiting is really important. So I think HR departments need to have targets and they need to have very targeted recruiting. So it might, they might have to go the extra mile. They might have to interview uh, 50 candidates instead, instead of 25. But I think if you actually make it a KPI to recruit uh, more women and more minorities and, and create a, a more diverse team, uh, it would absolutely yield better results. Um, the millennial generation is actually the most diverse generation in U.S. history. Uh, we have 40% of millennials that are non-white. So this is not only an opportunity for, you know, companies, manufacturing companies and other companies to have a talent pool that's diverse, but it, only, it also reflects that companies have to create a diverse and inclusive work environment because if you don't feel like you if, you, if you look around and everyone you see is not like you, you, might not, you may not feel very comfortable. So I think it's really important for companies to, again, have very targeted efforts um, another thing that, uh, that is very important to, to Emerson is really exposing women to uh, the field and having, you know, st making a huge effort around women in STEM and uh, promoting efforts like encouraging young girls to go into STEM careers. So I think companies need to invest in that. And I know most, you know, Fortune 500 companies that have charitable foundations that they can really use those and they can even use their employees to uh, get engaged and, and get girls and young girls and women excited about STEM. And then their talent pool will be more diverse by definition because they'll have more people, more women and diverse folks to choose from. Uh, so again, number one, targeted recruiting. Number two, uh, exposing women to the field and promoting STEM education. And then the third one is, again, falls back to culture and having flexible a flexible work environment and a great culture for your company. I think it's really important. Yeah, thanks for um, sharing your thoughts on that, Priscilla. And, you know, quite frankly, the data supports what you have said about the mm -hmm. benefits to the organization of a diverse workforce, not only in culture and recruiting, but also um, there are starting to be statistics that support the positive impact a diverse workforce has on the top line and the bottom line. So um, I really appreciate you sharing that. I, I'd like to switch gears for a minute. Um, when we talk about culture and we talk about career trajectory, we spoke last time um, with a woman, uh, Kathy Jovan, who's passionate about mentoring, and she introduced us to you. So I am very curious if you can share with our audience if you've used a mentor and if you could speak to your experiences with that. Absolutely. Um, I have to tell you, frankly, I would not be where I am today um, if it wasn't for my mentor. So. Uh, Mentor, I've had multiple mentors throughout my career. 
um, I had my first mentor in high school that, you know, I I moved to the U.S. when I was 16 years old, and I didn't know anyone. I didn't speak English. And I had this teacher that took me under her wing, and she, she was my art teacher. And she let me, like, eat lunch in the art studio because I didn't know anyone, and I couldn't speak English. So, And, and she really helped me uh, navigate, you know, the, the really hard times of high school as a, as a foreign student. Uh, and then in college, I had my professors that, to this day, I actually keep in touch with them. Uh, they mentored me throughout my, you know, my, my career. And at some point, I wanted to get a Ph.D. in economics. So uh, they really helped me in deciding, is that, is that the, right, the right fit for you? And these are the things you have to think about. Uh, and at Whirlpool, um, actually, the, when I shifted from government relations into the business side, um, it was because I, I had a mentor that was really an inspiration to me. He was one of Whirlpool's best leaders, uh, and he really inspired me to to be a, a business leader, to be a leader like himself. And, and he also coached me a lot when I had some pretty, you know, some downs in, in my career. Uh, so I, I really would not be where I am today without my mentors and I'm, although I'm pretty new to Emerson, I, I already have great mentors here as well. And um, I think the advice I would give to, to people, not just millennials, but really anyone, is everyone should have a mentor, and you should never be afraid to ask someone to be your mentor. Um, even if you don't approach it as like, hi, would you officially mentor me, just say, hey, I want to talk to you about X, Y, and Z. Uh, be concise about what are the things you want to discuss. And I guarantee that 99% of people will say yes, and uh, they will give you great feedback. Um, find someone that you admire. Find someone that you really trust and create that trusting relationship that can give you feedback and guidance, and it will be really worth uh, so much in your career and, and in your personal life as well. Sure, sure. Are you a mentor yourself, Priscilla? And yes, I have. Um, I mentor. I have team members that I mentor. I have young professional females at Emerson, as well. And I really, um, I have a product specialist that reports to me, and I really take it take mentoring as a daily job. I think I don't see myself as like his boss, as more as like his coach and his mentor. Uh, so I think it. It's something that you can really do in in many different ways. It doesn't have to be structured. You can take a moment and make it a lesson learned and coach someone uh, to be better or be approachable when people come talk to you. Uh, so I think mentor. I I hope I my goal is to always be a mentor for the rest of of my life. So I it has given so much to me that I would like to give it back uh, to others. Pay it forward. Good for you. Absolutely. So one last question for you. Um, where do you see yourself in five years, ten years, Priscilla? Um, I think in five years I would like to be leading a function within Emerson. So uh, right now I have a, a very small team. I would like to lead uh, either a marketing team or a sales team and grow both my people leadership responsibilities and my P&L responsibilities. Um, and I think Longer term, I, I ambition to, you know, one day run a business unit uh, as a GM or maybe run a big region uh, for a for a 
for Emerson or a, a different publicly traded company. Um, I do like, I, I love working at Emerson. It's, they're a great company, and they have already given me so many opportunities. And I think it's so cool working for a company that you can go, you can go anywhere and you can work in different regions of the world. So I would love to do that sometime. Um, and then it, I also, I'm an entrepreneur at heart, so uh, I think at some point I, w I would like to start my own company maybe in, in 15, 20 years. But uh, I think for now the, the, the track I'm on seems, uh, fits, fits right. Um, I also do volunteering on the, on the side, and I, I, I really enjoy being um, engaged civically and, and different activities, so I plan to continue doing that as well. Awesome. You know, Priscilla, what, what uh, it is awesome. Oh, my gosh. I, I mean, you've accomplished so much, and, and there's so much more that you're looking to do. It's just fantastic to hear. Do you have, you know, just one last question then. Do you have any words of advice for that up-and-coming millennial that maybe is, is looking for change, looking for new opportunities? You know, why consider manufacturing? And, and what, you know, three things do they need to think about when they're looking at getting into the industry? Yeah, so I think I would like to, you know, take advantage of this opportunity and first start with, uh, you know, if I, if I'm 31 today, if I were, if I could go back in time and have a conversation with myself uh, when I was 21 years old, like, what would I tell myself? And uh, the number one thing I would tell myself is to bite more than you can chew. Uh, take a risk and don't be afraid to fail. Uh, when I was younger, I was always like a perfectionist and I was afraid of failing. I wanted to always get, not only get straight A's, but I wanted to get hundreds on every exam. And now mm -hmm. looking back, I I realize like really to, to get better at anything and to really make the most out of your life, you have to be bold and you have to take big risks. So I think number one piece of advice is just take a risk, and sometimes you will fall on your face. <laughs> and I have <laughs> fallen on my face, and it has hurt really badly, and I, I still have some big scars, but the lessons I learned were the most important lessons. So 95% of the time you take big risks, you will be rewarded for it, and then you'll have those moments that you hurt yourself really badly, but they're worth it. So uh, mm -hmm. I think that's my number one piece of advice. My second one is uh, to spend time reflecting on what you want your career to be. So I spend a lot of time thinking about my career life and my personal life, and I have roadmaps for what I want to accomplish on both fronts. And mm -hmm. I think everyone should think about what is important to you and how satisfied are you with what's important to you. So create a roadmap, and then anytime you have to make a decision, use that roadmap as a compass. Because mm -hmm. if you don't have a compass, you might end up with the wrong decision. And right. over time, your priorities will change. Your roadmaps will change. Um, I mean, what I wanted to be 10 years ago is very different than what I want to be today. And I guarantee you that if you talk to me in five years, it will be different again. But sure, I sure. think 
it's important to reflect, and we don't spend enough time reflecting and thinking about what we want. So that's my second piece of advice is um, reflect on what's important to you and have a roadmap. Uh, and then in terms of manufacturing and, and opportunities is look at what's out there and give it a try. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm all about trying things. If it doesn't work, you change it. So there's so many, you know, with LinkedIn and with, you know, I, I, I always use Indeed.com as well. Uh, there's just so many, there's so much out there that why not, like, explore and see what's out there and then check it out and also apply for many things and you never know what, what will come through. Um, so I think it's really look for those opportunities and try different things and, you never know what will come out of it. Priscilla, we cannot thank you enough for sharing some fantastic insights with us and mm -hmm. sharing a little bit about your story. Um, you know, the challenges of moving here as a non-native English speaker at the age of 16 and, you know, roughly a decade and a half later being a successful person in the manufacturing sector I think is an inspiration to our listeners, and we really appreciate you sharing your time with us. So thank you yeah. so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right. Um, with that, Andrea Olson and I, Desiree Grace, thank you for listening to this episode of Riveting Exchanges podcast. Until we talk again, be well and thank you. Thank you for listening to Women and Manufacturing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.